Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a really cool resource that we're giving away with this series. We understand that spiritual growth can be really hard, and I personally get that even when you leave having heard one of my sermons with the best intentions to apply it to your life, turning those best intentions into real life actions can be pretty difficult. And so with this series, we're giving away devotional sheets. These devotional sheets contain daily activities that will take about 10 minutes for you to complete. The activities are varied from day to day. One day has a devotional writing written by me, another has questions, another has guided prayer, and there's a few other things too. I really do think that these devotional sheets will help you to immerse yourself more fully in the passages of scripture that I'm preaching on in this series, and I hope that you will get a copy. You can get a copy by visiting one of our services, or for you online listeners, you can get one by going to wilsonville.church slash SOTM. That's wilsonville.church slash SOTM. The SOTM stands for Sermon on the Mount. Hey, again, thanks for listening. I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, good morning again. Um, T is going to help me get through this one with my throat. If I don't sound as excited as normal, it's not because I don't care about the passage. It's because it's really hard to sound excited. Uh, I want to start by saying something that I think is important to this sermon in particular. And that's uh, something that is true to all sermons, but this one, uh, I think I just need to make it clear ahead of time. And that's that I don't preach to people's past. Uh, I, I don't worry when I'm getting up here on a stage what you did, you know, five years ago. And frankly, if it's something you've moved past, I don't really care what you did last week. Uh, what I preach to is your present and your future. My goal is to help you more fully glorify God with your life and, and to make decisions and changes that need to be made in order to make that happen. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm talking about divorce, and I realize that a lot of people here in our congregation have been divorced in the past, and I just want to make it so clear, because the church has been guilty of this in the past, that I'm not preaching this sermon to make you feel guilty about the divorce you had 25 years ago. Uh, zero intention, none whatsoever. That is not the point or the goal or anything uh, along those lines. And so that's the first thing I, I just want to get out there is I'm not preaching to your past, but I am preaching to our present and, and to what might happen you know, tomorrow and moving forward in your life. Um, the other thing is, uh, and, and I just admit this to, to show, I think, uh, something that probably is close to the hearts of a lot of people when it comes to relationships in general, and, and this will be the driving theme of the message uh, is kind of contradictory to what I'm about to say, but throughout my marriage, uh, especially at the beginning, and I don't know why, uh, if you've been around, you've heard me preach, if you are my friend, family member, you know this already, but I, I just, I kind of say what's on my mind, and uh, I'm I'm pretty nice guy, so I'm not just flippant with words, but when I really believe something, I share it, and uh, I don't you know, always worry about the consequences unless it's something that I think is mean or angry. But early in our marriage, one of the things I said that I probably should have thought more about the consequences was like, this is my wife, Bren, right there. Uh, Bren, 
if you ever have an affair, I will be gone faster than you can possibly imagine. Like, that'll be the end of this marriage. That'll be great. You have a nice, nice life. I won't hate you, but I will have moved on as soon as you said the words, uh, and then I'll be gone, right? Like, affair, it's over. And, and frankly, in large part, that's because, that is because I, I come from a family where there's been a lot of divorce and, and I've seen a, a lot of those divorces come because people have committed adultery. And, uh, and I've seen that, that it's almost an impossible thing to overcome, just the trust uh, to rebuild that. It happens, but it's almost impossible to overcome. Now you might just agree with me and say that sounds like a great practice, a great standard, uh, but but studying for this sermon, and I've had this conversation already this week, it totally challenged me on this issue. Having kids made that me soften on that anyway, but like biblically, spiritually, uh, as far as the Christian faith goes, this sermon and, and what I see Jesus say, words I've read before but never you know, so closely paid attention to, they really challenged my heart on that because what we'll see in, in the these verses we're going to look at is frankly that our relationships should be based on on what God wants and not what is just kind of acceptable. And that's really at the heart of this whole thing today. Uh, Marriage is really difficult, right? Relationships in general are difficult. And this sermon will apply. If you're not married, which is over 50% of Americans now, uh, and so I don't know what the percentage is in our church, but uh, but if you're not married, this sermon will be applicable to you. But, But before we moved into those things, let's just admit, marriage is a really hard thing to do. We have a lot of young married people in our church and a lot of people uh, that uh, are frankly just moving kind of to that stage in their marriage where, where it's like, oh, you're not perfect, you know? Or I realized you weren't perfect, but it wasn't that bad, but all of a sudden it's really hard to deal with you. Uh, uh, you I mean, you know, right? Like, come on. Uh, that's a, a pretty normal stage to go through in life. And, <clears throat> you know, I've had this conversation. It's like those, those times in your marriage where you wake up all of a sudden and you realize like, We've, we feel like business partners and the business is making sure the house is clean and making sure that uh, our kids are going to the right places and that we don't lose our kids and that we're on the same page as far as discipline goes and uh, that all the bills are paid and that you know we're moving forward in our jobs and, and like thank you for your help, have a good night, right? I mean with my wife, I mean we have two young kids, <clears throat> we're pretty busy and I mean, people talk about how we're always doing things, and we love our lives, but sometimes it's like, at the end of the day, you're like, hey, good day, and then, and then your wife starts talking about her day, and you're thinking, I, I can't listen, because I've been listening to people all day, <laughs> you know, like, and I, I, I confessed that recently, and it, that's not a good idea, just marriage tip, don't say like, I hear you, but I do not care what you're saying right now, just, yeah, that's one of the best points I'll make today. Um, but, it, but it's hard, right? And, and what's interesting in this article, it, it, make sure you grab a devotional sheet on the way out the door. We've been producing those for every one of these sermons. This activities will take you about 10 minutes uh, each day for you to kind of dive deeper into this passage. Make sure you grab one of those. Uh, but but in, in researching for my devotional piece in that, I, I found this Wall Street Journal article, and uh, it's about... 
the divorce generation, which doesn't quite reach my age range. It's a little before me, but, uh, but I, I, I feel like I'm a part of it anyway because growing up and even today, when I ask people who are about my age or younger than me uh, about their home life growing up and they tell me that their parents are still married, I, I'm like surprised. Uh, like, oh, that's weird, you know? I mean, I, I wonder how that happened. And that's a pretty sad reality, right? Divorce rates are really hard to nail down. You hear that 50% divorce rate all the time. It just seems to be wrong the more I research it. But, but I think that, that really the most telling thing is that people are like surprised if, if you're kind of my age and, and your parents stayed married. And so what's happened in people my age and, and just a little bit younger than me, and this happened, I'm gonna hit two different generations. This happened in like my grandparents' generation too, and maybe the ones in between, this won't apply as much, but we've just, we've just said like, it's not me as you heard earlier, but a lot of people have said, I'm not getting divorced no matter what. I will not leave my spouse. And in the old days, it was out of a sense of moral responsibility, right? And, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying the way it's the way it is. Like, we will never be divorced because we think divorce is wrong. But in my generation, it's more like I will never get divorced because I won't do that to my kids and because I knew all of the consequences. I saw them firsthand and I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to produce those consequences and so I'll stay in this no matter what. But that, well, it's, I think that's great. I think that's good uh, that we say we're gonna stay married. It's not a very fun way to live, right? It's not, it's not very fulfilling, uh, it can be a great business partnership, as I said before, but it's nothing like what we came into a marriage wanting and desiring. And frankly, I don't think it's, it's the type of marriages that we need for our culture uh, to be successful because in large part, our culture is built on the family. And, and so today, I, I think we're gonna see uh, the alternative. I think we're gonna have something better to aim for than just staying married or just being willing to get divorced. Saying, look, if you're unfaithful, I'm out or, or I'm not out, whatever. Uh, we're gonna see something better to shoot for. And, and so we're gonna look at the Sermon on the Mount as we've been doing in the series. But we're gonna, we're gonna look at, at Jesus' further teaching on this subject, which comes a few chapters later. But in Matthew 5.31, this is what Jesus says. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So this is part of the antithesis section. You've heard me say that every week if you've been around, but if you're new, you need to know that Jesus has launched into in the Sermon on the Mount his longest, most important, uh, most impactful sermon. He's launched into this thing that theologians have later called the antithesis section. It's very practical. It's about very specific moral issues, uh, but he sets them all up by saying, look, here is what you have heard taught by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, this very strict religious sect, this is what they're teaching you about this moral issue. And it's based on God's commands, but I want to give you the new, better interpretation, the right interpretation of what God said so long ago in what we call the Old Testament. And in this one, Jesus is talking about the interpretation of this passage that just barely seems connected and it's Deuteronomy 24 1 through 4 it's important that I read all of it for you to see kind of how ridiculous the the culture at Jesus time had had how ridiculous it is how they had twisted this to fit their own narrative this is what it says if a man marries a woman 
who becomes, notice this word, displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And after it, she leaves his house. After he, she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. I know a lot of words, but let me tell you basically what it's saying. It's saying if you choose to divorce a woman, a woman, this is a man because women didn't have this right at the time. If a man chooses to divorce a woman, he can never remarry her again. And really at the heart of this passage, I think as I read it, you know, thousands of years later, is a warning. Don't be quick to divorce your wife because you might like her in the end. I was a part of a, of a very unhealthy relationship in, in college, and I can tell you that, man, if, if we would have ever been married, like, we would have talked about divorce all the time, because I don't even think we liked each other, but uh, we kept hanging on, and, and I can see, especially for young people, how they make rash decisions, and in a culture driven entirely by men, where divorce had become fairly acceptable, it would have been so easy to say, oh, you're out, eh, I guess I like you again. And then want her back. And so God puts this provision in place, I, I think, first, to protect the woman. If you're going to divorce someone, you give her a certificate of a divorce so that people know you put her out and she didn't just leave you, which is something that could have had her killed. But also to say, look, take seriously this thing called divorce. Take seriously putting your wife out because you're, you're never gonna have her back. And, and, and we know this from our culture, right? Like, like we, we have this idea that, people can be the one it's an idea that I reject uh, but like what if you divorce her you go down the road meet somebody else and you realize the first lady was the one you know I mean what happens then and here's what the people at Jesus time had done with this passage of scripture they had taken that first part the part that says write her a certificate of divorce and they had said that's the command of God if you get divorced, you write a certificate that says I divorced this woman. And it had become so bad, it was, it's worse than our culture. Can you imagine that when it comes to, to the, the cheapness of marriage, like being worse than our culture? They looked at this word displeasing. If a man finds something displeasing about her. And, and some of the religious leaders taught that this meant anything that a woman does that a man doesn't like becomes grounds for divorce. Like literally, if the woman burns dinner too many times, or once, depending on who the guy is, right? Then, then he had the biblical right to write her a certificate and say, we're done here, I'm gonna find another cook. Woman from the South. And this, you can, you can just imagine, because you know people, right? When you have half the religious leaders teaching this, and then half of them saying, no, that's not right. This has to be some type of, you know, I mean, as it says here, something indecent about her, like something morally unfaithful about her, something uh, sexually unfaithful about her. You had half the, popula or half the religious leaders teaching that and half saying it could be for whatever you want. What do you think the men gravitated towards? <laughs> okay, honey, you better get that Mexican food for me tonight because if you don't, I got the certificate already written up, right? It's this easy out. <laughs> Just leave it on the table at all times. What did you say, honey? I got this. I'm just wait. I can see this, right? And they gravitated towards the easy out 
for their relationships. I'll write a certificate. That's the end of it. It'll be, you displeased me. I can move on. I can move on to the next woman. I'll find the right one eventually. I'm out of here. And so Jesus, in this antithesis section about divorce, is saying, look, I know what the culture is saying. If a woman is displeasing, you just write a certificate and you're out. You do whatever you want. You just leave her. That's it. He, he says that. I mean, in the next verse, it's been said, oh, excuse me. Um, but here's what he says. Here's what he says. Verse 32, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus says, look, I'll tell you the real interpretation is, is that marriage is to be a binding covenant that is not broken without adultery, which we all are on the same page. That's extramarital uh, sex affair. Um, that's what that is. And, and so Jesus immediately just pushes back against the culture of his time and our culture, right? Because we think in terms of uh, you know, differences that cannot be reconciled, right? That's kind of the, the reason people get married. We don't like each other or we can't get along in this area or it's, it's just too hard and, and I'm out. And Jesus says, look, there's, there's one, there's only one out that is not sinful, frankly, and that is the out when your spouse has committed adultery. And the reason for this is not because people should be looking for now. The reason for this is because the, the marriage contract in heaven is based on faithfulness. We say this at just about every wedding. This is like one of the two things I need to say at a wedding is that we will, we will be faithful. We will be only theirs until death do us part, right? It's a promise that we will not have relations with anybody else for the rest of our lives. And what Jesus is getting at here is when a person does, they've ripped up the contract, but here's, here's what we've done. It's so counter what Jesus is saying in our own culture. Uh, because we have, we have this word, right? This word marriage. And, and we've tied together a biblical view of marriage with, a, with an American view of marriage, with what government says marriage is. And this has implications, right? And so what we've seen in our minds and, and, and in our souls is that divorce is, is simply ripping up this marriage contract. We go down to wherever we go for a divorce. I've never got that far. Uh, but like we go down and, and we say, look, we're divorced. And you sign something and you file the papers and the other person gets the papers, right? And then they sign the papers. And that's the end of it. But what Jesus is saying here is like, there's, if I could just describe it like this, I think this is what we needed to get back to to, to define marriage in our, in our country and especially in Christianity. Uh, holy matrimony. I know it's the same thing almost in our, in our world, but it's a, something that we Christian pastors use when we're doing weddings. We've come together today to join these two in holy matrimony. You've heard that said before. Uh, and and what I, if I could just use this term as something different from this term for a minute. This is a promise made before God that says we will be together forever and we will not give ourselves to another person, okay? And what Jesus is saying is, is frankly, it doesn't matter if you rip up this earthly thing, right? 
It doesn't matter if we, if we say, hey, here's a certificate or in our society, sign these papers, it's over. Because this is not really, especially as people that are God-fearing Christian people, this is not what we're doing when we get together and have a wedding. We are not just signing some papers. We do sign some papers right before pictures after the ceremony. But that's not the important part of the wedding of a wedding, of a marriage. What is important is this promise made before God that says, look, we're gonna be together forever. And, and Jesus says, look, you can, you can do what you want. You can give a person a certificate because they burned something or you guys just had irreconcilable differences. You can do whatever you want. But what you need to understand is that in the heavenly contract, you're still married. Holy matrimony does not go away because you signed the divorce papers and so consider this now consider this if two people this is what she's saying if two people are still married in heaven and one of them goes and they marry somebody else and then as a married person they sleep with this other person they have in fact committed adultery and, and Jesus says it in a way that reflects how women at the time would have had to get remarried. It was just a part of it. Like they wouldn't have been able to support themselves without marriage. And so Jesus says, look, if you divorce a woman, you send her off because she, she was unpleasing to you, you didn't like her, she's going to go get married. And when she does, when she does, you have, you have caused her to commit adultery. You have caused her to break this command. And if you, man, you go and marry a woman who has been divorced, then you are, you're breaking this covenant, this heavenly covenant that has not been broken, that has not been changed by the certificate that, that some person has drawn up, whether it be at the courthouse or at the Jewish synagogue or whatever. One of the, one of the worst things that we have done as Christians in America is that we have, we have married our view of marriage with the government's view of marriage. And it has caused us in our minds to think that things that, that the government declares marriage are and, and when the government declares that a marriage ends, that it does. But this is absolutely not true. This is, there's only, there's only one, there's only one marriage covenant that matters to our spiritual lives and it's the one in heaven. And God's saying this is not broken unless somebody has chosen to commit adultery and then it breaks. It's sinful, it's wretched, we know the consequences if we've been around it, but then they've broken it. And then you are, if you need to, you are free to move on because they've already torn apart this holy matrimony. But it does not matter what some human says about this thing that we call marriage. This can be ripped to shreds and you're still holy matrimonied. Made that up. You're still holy matrimonied. I might start using it though. In heaven still. That's Jesus' point here. But it's not the end of his teaching on divorce and I don't think it's the whole point at all. Let's put these down here. Because later, in Matthew 19, this is what we read. 
Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So that's the question, right? I mean, this is the debate with the religious leaders and, and, and so they want to get to the bottom of it. Really, they want to trick him. But, but they ask this question. He says, this is, so, this is so important. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then they asked the question, why then? They asked, did Moses command, which he didn't. You've read the passage they're referring to. He did not command. He said, look, if you're divorcing a woman, give her a certificate of divorce. But they say, why did Moses command? I lost my place. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus says, look, this wasn't, this was not commanded. This was permitted. That's a big difference, right? This was not commanded. It was permitted. And then he repeats the same teaching. There is no true divorce without adultery. Uh, and, And so so understand that. But in the middle, in the middle, he says this thing that takes the idea of marriage all the way back to the beginning. And this is the part that challenged me and changed me this week and my thinking on, on the topic of uh, you know, divorce and whether I'd leave my wife if she committed adultery and all this. Because Jesus, he hears their question and he does not dive into what is a permissible standard for divorce? He covers it at the end. You wanna know what's permissible? If somebody commits adultery, that's what's permissible. But like Jesus almost always does, he ignores these people's questions. It's like political, like you know the politicians a little. But instead of dancing around the issues, Jesus does something else. He doesn't dance like a politician. He says like, that's the question, whatever. But now let me tell you the deeper, crazier, more awesome truth that you're not even asking about. And Jesus does not go, okay, let's get down to the nitty gritty. You know, what is adultery, you know? I mean, how far is too far? And what's the line here? And what is marital unfaithfulness? And you know, does an internet chat room count or does it not count? I mean, you know, all these questions that, you know, we would have now. Let's talk about what that really is, Jesus. What is actually permissible? Does an emotional affair count? Does that count? He's just said, by the way, in Matthew 5, before we, this is Matthew 19, but in Matthew 5, he just said, like, if you lust, you've committed adultery of the heart. We know that's not the same thing. That doesn't break the contract in heaven. But he's talked about what a big deal that is. It'd be easy to say, okay, well, if a person's lusted, the contract's been broken. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And instead, Jesus goes back to the very foundations of marriage, the real, true intent of marriage. And he looks at them and he says, look, let's not talk about what is permissible. Let's talk about what the intent of marriage is. And you see it there. I mean, Jesus says that the intent is for a man and a woman to come together in such a unified 
connected way that the two are no longer two, but one, flesh. That's unity, right? In fact, the setup to marriage was that the man was alone. And God looked down and said, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And so I'm gonna provide him a helper, a a mate, in order that he can become one flesh with her and they can be so unified that they work together as one. You see, what Jesus is getting at is, is that our marriages should not be based on permission, but intention. God's intention. Now, before you go, well, we live in a different society, you know, this is so difficult. I wanna, I wanna just say again that this was so utterly countercultural, more countercultural than, than what we think of today. One author said it this way. It would be the same Jesus talking about divorce in this way is somebody in our context today saying anyone who sells his car and buys another is guilty of theft. Can you imagine, first of all, how you would treat your car and how you would pick your car and how you would view your car if you knew it it was there until the end? Man, if you know my car situations in the past, you'd be like, Chad, is that would be the worst thing for Chad. It's in the shop right now, in fact. It's always in the shop. Uh, but that's what it's like. That's how countercultural it is. John R. Stott, author, theologian, says the Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds for divorce, Jesus with the institution of marriage. I mean, the disciples, they're, they're shocked by like Jesus and his comments about adultery. And they actually, it's amazing. If you, if you read Matthew 19 and what follows, they say like, it's better to not get married then. That's their response. Like if you're telling me I got one try and the woman can do whatever she wants except for adultery, then, then why would we get married? And Jesus, you know, I mean, he does this thing that's really counter, you know, 1950s Christianity at least because we felt like everybody had to get married. I remember looking at when I was in college, seeing, you know, what, what a pastor would have to have, uh, credentials, you know, like, you know, you would do for your job. Like, what do I need to, you know, achieve and accomplish in order to be a pastor someday? And it would always be like, you need five years of experience and you must be married, We've, we just, we've idolized marriage so much in Christian circles. And Jesus doesn't say, you must get married. Like, that's a stupid question. He's like, hey, you know, some people are eunuchs by choice and some people uh, are eunuchs not by choice, but that's just a choice that you can make. It's pretty good, right? Instead of saying, well, you're strange if you don't get married. He's like, that's fine. That's what you need to do. Just don't get divorced. Jesus looks at him and says, look, let's get back to the intent of this deal. And and those of us who grew up in divorced homes who have been around divorced, man, we know how bad divorce is. And I understand there's circumstances and you might be thinking, well, there was a good reason for me to get, you know, divorced or whatever. I'm not talking about your past. I'm just telling you about mine. It leaves a wake of devastation. There's a reason that in Malachi 2.16 we read, God hates divorce. It's because divorce is bad for us. It's bad. I taught this divorce recovery class. I wrote more about that in in the devotional entry for this week. But um, 
I did this years ago before I was married. And um, I'm sitting with all these women. It was all women and me. Uh, that makes me sound like I was trying to meet ladies or something. Uh, that was not the goal or the intent. Uh, I was there with very good purposes in mind. Um, and, and all of these women who were divorced, a lot of them because of the adultery of their husbands. They had broken that holy matrimony. But yet they were still devastated by it. And they saw that it was bad even though, that they, were, even though they were doing it. And Jesus looks at us and he's like, get back to the intent of marriage. We don't just hold on and say, I'll never get divorced. I don't really care if I like you anymore. And we don't just leave because we can. We're not looking for a way out. We're trying in our culture, we should be trying to have not just marriages, but relationships that are based on God's intention and not his permission. You can look at your relationship with your uh, your boyfriend and your girlfriend, if you're not married yet, your siblings, your parents or your children, your supervisor at work or your employees at work. And, and I think Jesus would say to all of these relationships, don't, don't base them on what's permissible, but what God has intended for them. You know, uh, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought of a couple of things as I, as I think through the intention of God in marriage. And we've read Jesus already saying, like, you should be so unified, right? Like, you should be one. Not business partners, but one. Feeling what the other person feels. Listening at the end of the day, even though you don't feel like you have it in you. Caring and loving and gentle and kind and passionate about the other person's success, rooting for their success above and beyond your own. But there's this other thing that, that, that's in the Bible that's so interesting and that's that Paul, the apostle who wrote much of the New Testament, he spends a great deal of time comparing our marriages to the gospel story. We believe as Christians, and I hope that you believe this too because your soul depends on it in every way, that, that we are all sinners. We've done things that are wrong, wrong against people, wrong against God. And, and God looked down from heaven and, and he came to earth and, and he, he lived as the person of Jesus, a perfect life, not doing anything wrong. And at the end of that life, he was brutally and torturously killed on a cross for our sins. And then he came back to life three days later. He made this incredible sacrifice because, because he offered us this gift through it that if we will accept him as Savior and Lord that we get to have a relationship with him that was broken by the things we had done wrong and that relationship will last into eternity where we will get to live in his perfect kingdom. And then Paul, <laughs> crazy, uses marriage as an example of that relationship between God and us. That's pretty humbling. Husbands, you should be like Jesus in your treatment of your spouse. I can't even listen to my wife at night, let alone be willing to suffer the cross for, you know? And wives, you should just love and respect your husbands like I've called to love and respect the church. What? I mean, I can barely get out of bed on a Sunday morning to sing to Jesus, you know? I mean, good night. But that's the call, and, and here's what I, I see. This is big, right? But our marriages should, should reflect the gospel story. 
one person laying down their life for the other and then the other person subsequently laying down their life because they see what a sacrifice the other person has made. That's so much better and more beautiful and harder than let's just stay married. Or hey, it's permissible for me to be out of here now. See you later. I mean, that, that metaphor runs throughout scripture because in the Old Testament, when God is talking about how the Jewish people are interacting with him, whether it's their obedience or lack of obedience, he always is using the term adultery, marital unfaithfulness to describe how they've been disobedient to him and they've rejected him. Our relationships should be a picture of how God interacts with people and how we likewise should interact with him. This applies to the marriage relationship, but, but consider this, consider this. Think about how you interact with your siblings. Let's just go with siblings for a minute. The Bible says and uses brother and sister for the relationship between Christians and then describes what those relationships should be like. Like you should be sacrificing for each other. There should be complete and utter unity. You should be laying down your lives for each other. You should be using your gifts to serve other people. You should be there to help carry the other person's burdens. And when we look at our relationships with our biological brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be saying, what's permissible here? I mean, how many times do I need to see them every year? We should be saying, what was God's intention in this? And what reflects this spiritual relationship that's in the church? It goes for how you treat your parents, how you treat your kids, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat your bosses, all of those things. The question we should be asking about all of our relationships, but most specifically our marriage, is not what is permissible, but what is intended. Our relationship should be based on intention and not permission. This uh, very old, long dead person that's famous in Christian circle, Christendom, he said this, for he that is a meek and a peacemaker and poor in spirit and merciful, how shall he cast out his wife? He that is used to reconcile others, how shall he be at variance with her that is his own? And he's referring to this thing that starts the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. When Jesus has said, blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek and the peacemakers. And we look at marriage and we just throw all that out of the window and say, what do I have to do to get by? What do I have to do to get by? And maybe it's hard to have relationships that are based on intention and not permission. It is hard. But I know the value. My daughter's three years old. Um, when I was my daughter's age, my parents had been divorced for about, I don't know, five months. Uh, my uncle, who's back there, uh, had gone to Disneyland with my dad and I uh, for a trip when I was turning three years old that was supposed to be uh, my mom and my dad and I, and we had a good time with Mike. I'm very close to my uncle, in large part because he was there for me in those types of moments. I have very few memories uh, from those early days, but one is, is a fight between my parents uh, where I was downstairs listening. And I see as a 35-year-old 
just the, the pain, right? And I look at my daughter, <laughs> and I don't ever want her to deal. We all feel this as parents, right? I don't ever want her to deal with the things that I've dealt with, ever. But I know that just hanging on to a marriage would be terrible for her too, right? I mean, when Brent and I have an argument, and Brent and I have arguments, I'm very thankful that I still like my wife after 10 years, and I can preach this sermon with no fear of divorce, and uh, it's, it's very nice to be able to do that. But Brent and I don't hold things in. If you grew up with us, you know that already. Like, we're just gonna let it go. And, and I hate, I hate when we're arguing about something and Hazel's in the back seat or whatever and she's trying to break the moment, right? Like, hey guys, what's for dinner? Because I'm just doing a little bit to her of what happened to me. And if our relationships are just based on permission it's not healthy for anybody. But when we look at the intention of God and we say, I'm gonna shoot for that. I'm gonna miss, but I'm gonna shoot for that. It's so much better. And so I want you to leave here today, no matter what your marriage is like, no matter what your relationships are like, and maybe you're not married or maybe your, your marriage is great right now, but you have this other relationship. And, and I want you to leave here and I want you to ask the question, am I just doing what is permissible or am I really aiming for what God wants and what God intended when he created this relationship? I mean, why are there parents and children? Like, what is that dynamic supposed to look like? What's important about it? Why did God create siblings? Why has God created managers and, and, and employees? And what does he have to say about it in his word? Because he has things to say about it. And then I want you to just look and say, okay, this is where it's falling short. And I'm gonna do my best to move towards God's intention for this relationship. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Our relationship should not be based on permission, but on God's intention. Let me pray that you'll, you'll live that out. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I pray that first for our marriages, because I know so many people, God, most of this, you know, majority of this church is about three to five years younger than me, God. And, um, and, and you just come to a point, they've been married, you know, you know, same time as me or three to five years less than me, God. And, and it seems, I mean, I know statistically that year seven is a, is a major divorce year for a lot of people. And God, I just want, I want strong marriages in this church. I, I really do. I, I don't think we can be a strong church without them. You know that I pray for those kids that are down the hall right now, that they will love you, God, and be passionate followers of you. Um, and that's not gonna happen if our marriages are not representing you, and, and the story of you coming to save us, God. Kids, kids will not, will not tolerate, God. Parents who preach one thing 
and then live differently. And that may not be more true than when it comes to how their parents are treating each other, God. I pray, Lord, for our marriages in this church, and I pray they'd be strong no matter what stage of life they're at. You know, I've heard a couple of stories in our denomination, God, in the last year of people, God, who are, are old, God, who have committed adultery, and they'd never done it before, and they've done it now. And Lord, I believe it's, a, it's, it's because they probably were getting by on what was permissible and not what was intended. And so strengthen marriages, whether it's marriages that are long or short, God, strengthen them and, and grow them and help them to shoot for total and, and utter unity, God, where people cannot tell our, our emotions and our, our hopes and our dreams, God, apart. And then I pray, Lord, for, for those who are unmarried, and, and I pray, Lord, that they, and, and this is something that's been on my heart this week, that they would help, God, strengthen the marriages in this church, that they would look at what they have as a unique opportunity to serve other people who are in these very difficult relationships that are called marriage. Lord, I pray they wouldn't look at, at not being married as a negative, but they would see it as a positive, as, as your word presents it, Lord, a positive to do more ministry and, and do ministry in a, a more complete way. And I pray that they would minister to those who are married in our church, God. And I pray for all of the relationships that we have, God. There's tough ones, there's broken ones, there's hard ones. And you are the great reconciler, God. You reconciled us to you, but you've also reconciled us to each other in you, God. And I pray that you would bring such reconciliation between those, those broken friendships and uh, broken relationships between siblings and parents and kids and coworkers and all of that, God. I pray that you would do such reconciliation, God, that our relationships would in some way represent the types of relationships that you had in mind, God, when you built them into the fabric of our world. Speak to our hearts, God. No matter what I say, no matter how good or bad the sermon was, I pray that you would work through it and that you would convict us and move us forward because of it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. During this next song, uh, I just want you to respond.